Squid, El Calamar in Spanish, Ica in Japanese, Calamar in Italian, and most bars and restaurants in the U.S. In fact, worldwide, we catch 3 million metric tons of squid for consumption. It's eaten raw, battered and fried, baked, stuffed, grilled, the list goes on. Squid ink is used as an edible dye in everything from hamburgers to a wonderful rice dish in Spain. I'm sure most of you have also heard of the ability of squid and other cephalopods like octopuses to change color. But did you know squid teeth were used to develop an amazing new material that can revolutionize everything from clothing to energy storage? Hello, and welcome to the Intangible Insights Podcast, a podcast where we focus on insights from the natural world that we interact with all the time, but never notice. Each episode will tell the story of how pioneers are taking a fresh and sometimes first look at nature, the insight database that is in plain sight. In this, our first episode, we'll introduce Professor Malik Demarel from Penn State University, learn about fascinating alternatives to synthetic fibers, and how squid can change the world. Okay, full transparency here. If you're anything like I was just a few months ago, you'd be surprised that squid even had teeth. But they do have these things called teeth, and squid being squid, the teeth aren't even in the mouth. No, they're in the rings lining the suckers that cover the squid's arms and tentacles. But how did the ring teeth, an obscure and off-overlooked part of the squid, become the centerpiece of a whole new biomaterial. To answer this, we will introduce Professor Malik Demarel. My name is Malik Demarel. I am a Hakka Endowed Chair Professor at Penn State University. I joined the Penn State 17 years ago, 2003, after finishing my PhD at Carnegie Mellon and uh, a year of work at Los Alamos National Laboratory. Professor Demarill was studying a range of other biomaterials, in particular spider silk. Spider silk has been researched for decades because of its incredible strength and toughness, as well as emerging properties with respect to energy and light. One challenge working with spider silk is how it reacts when it gets wet. Wetting spider silk causes it to shrink and deform. This was a limitation for scientists like Professor Demarill, who are looking to create a library of alternative materials that can replace petroleum-based polymers. Basically, as the faculty, when I started, I was looking at breaking symmetries on a different problem, on a wetting problem, right? So if you look at, uh, you know, butterfly wings, you see that they only uh, shed incoming rain droplets only one direction. So that's for survival, of course, and it is footpath of the uh, you know geckos and so on to help them to climb for the adhesion purposes and so on. And at the bottom of all these structures, there's this structural protein. Uh, and the beautiful example is the silk, which is very, very strong and, and has these unique mechanical properties. Uh, it's, it's shrinking and it's, it's not uh, giving the right properties underwater. The key question was, is there any uh, you know, protein-based material that's strong enough and uh, you know, that can still hold the properties? As Professor Demerol notes, spider silk is entirely made of protein. No steel, no copper, no concrete. It's made of the same basic building blocks that make up muscle, skin, hair, antibodies, and even bird feathers. At a molecular level, 
Spider silk resembles a string with knots tied in it. The space between the knots are loosely organized, while the knots are highly structured protein crystals. When at rest, the space between the knots is slack and the crystals are bound tight. When a bug slams into the web, the loosely organized slack stretches while the crystals resist that stress. Gram for gram, spider silk is stronger than steel and tougher than Kevlar. Add water though, and the mechanism starts to fail. Knowing spider silk would be one of the alternatives to petroleum-based polymers, Professor Demerol recognized the need to further understand and engineer proteins that could assemble and function in water. This would lead him to look at aquatic organisms, and that's where he was introduced to squid ring teeth. When, we, when I start looking at different uh, you know, protein, structural proteins, uh, I start to realize that at 1910, the squid ring teeth has been studied by Woodhull Labs in, in US. And then up to 1970s, there was nobody who was really focusing on the structures. And there was a, two zoologists which studied in detail. The, they took the electron microscope images. They showed that there are tiny pores in that. And then 40 years later, uh, around 2010, there was a group in Santa Barbara who was like basically working on the mechanical properties, uh, molecular biology aspect of, of this ring teeth proteins. And that's where I start to really get attention because, you know, uh, looking at uh, the silk and comparing with these new structures, this is a very fundamental tool that I could have take advantage of using it for my idea of molecular design. So, you know, knowing the, uh, the protein theories from early days of my undergrad way back in 1990s and uh, jumping into material science field of understanding structure property relationships, I started to merge these this two fields. And finally, I realized that, hey, we can take advantage of uh, not only the biometric concepts, but also molecular biology, material science, an engineering concept and to build uh, these molecular architectures. That's where everything merged. What then was the connection between spider silk and squid ring teeth? When Professor Demarill and other researchers delved deeper into the underlying proteins, they discovered an eloquent natural design principle. All of these proteins contain something called tandem repeats. Tandem repeat proteins. So basically these proteins are uh, molecular scale materials that are that are built together uh, through the, uh, you know, the gene duplication processes. And they showed to me that a complex structure could be created by simply repeating the existing unit. Think about like the Lego block, right? So mm -hmm. the Lego block is one unit that is basically, uh, you know, uh, you can take many of them together and you can create some exciting toy. And in a sense, uh, you know, nature is using uh, the building blocks to create very complex structures. They further learned it's the type of repeats and the number of repeats that impart specific functions and properties on the final structure. In one experiment, Professor Demorell and his team engineered bacteria to produce squid ring teeth proteins, but the team was able to vary the number of repeats. When they tested these variations, they found that when they increased the number of tandem repeats, the protein became tougher and more elastic. Complexity by repetition. And that complexity is quite interesting because 
nature uses this fuzziness. It's not exact copies, but it is, you know, variation and random mutations in these structures, which basically creates, you know, unique physical properties. Additionally, research has shown that the toughness and elasticity of the tandem repeats comes not from a small number of very strong bonds. Rather, it is the result of countless very weak bonds. Nature likes to use this uh, so-called soft bonds, right? Uh, you know, hydrogen bonds, charge, and so on. In fact, most of the time, the balance is between charge, electrostatic interaction, dipoles, and these hydrogen bonds. That bonds play a key role, right? So being evolving everything in water, right? So environment, so where these bonds can play a key role, turn out to be the most important fundamental forces at the molecular scale. So if you want to understand molecular engineering, you have to understand these forces. So that's where, you know, as you mentioned in the silk, uh, squid, elastin, collagen, or even in some of the inorganics. Uh, so, you know, uh, depending on uh, what types of bonds they have, these can create this type of uh, interesting, uh, unique interactions. So one could start to build this structure by understanding these fundamental relationships. What this means is squid ring teeth proteins are taking significant strain and spreading it over many, many bonds. This is similar to the concept of a bed of nails. If I put all of my weight on one nail, it will pierce my skin and hurt a lot. However, if I spread that same weight over hundreds of nails, then I can lay on the bed of nails and end up with some temporary red spots. This is where we are going to wrap up part one of our conversation with Professor Demorel and our dive into the inner mysteries of squid teeth. In part two, we'll learn more about the research and where it's all going. Here's a little teaser. And as we studied these proteins, what we realized is we can create terminal switches. We can create diodes. Uh, we can create, um, you know, materials uh, that can self-heal. And as of now, the materials that we have is the fastest and the strongest self-healing materials uh, that was inspired by this squittering teeth. In the meantime, you can view images and corresponding blog posts on the Intangible Insights website. That's intangibleinsights.net. Also, please visit Professor Demerol's lab page and his YouTube page, which has some amazing imagery of the potential of squid ring teeth proteins. Both of these will be linked in the blog post. Likewise, I encourage everyone to visit tandemrepeat.com to get a glimpse of the future.